Yo, what is up, everybody? This is your host Rishabh Tyagi, and you're listening to Anything and Everything. If you're new to our podcast, please stick around because we release a new episode every Saturday. Um, and yep, this is our first ever episode, so hopefully you like it. So the first ever guest on our podcast is Andre. Andre is a rising senior at Illinois Institute of Technology and a crypto junkie. He lives and breathes crypto and blockchain, and he also works at a VC firm who deals with. uh crypto and vc sorry crypto and blockchain startups can can talk right now so hopefully you'll enjoy our conversation and hopefully you learn something new today um i did i learned about nfts ntts and even the blockchain and the guy is pretty good at explaining the concepts and he will break down these concepts so every one of us can understand this so the episode begins in 3 2 1 anything and everything there yeah. we go this is first session i believe right yeah this is the first session i'm recording okay so we're going to have fun tonight my name is andre and um i was born in costa rica and i am a rising senior uh, at illinois tech and a venture capital analyst at decasonic which is a blockchain focused investment firm here in chicago um i also work at illinois tech's student entrepreneurship center called the kaplan institute where um we're looking to support students who are looking to break into venture capital through directed programming and just promoting industry experiences for them. Um so it's been a lot of fun. That's what I do for my career. Uh as for my personal life, I love MMA and I do MMA pretty much 3 times 3 times a week approximately and I love going to the movies on Saturdays, movies alone, of course. as it should be and uh and yeah that's that's a small intro of like who I am and what I do okay so the lo- the love for mma between me and andre is is what's the word that I'm looking for not consensual um mutual, uh, mutual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the love is mutual um so what you do you you're just doing kickboxing right now right uh so it's it's a, an interesting mixture cuz right now we have um they started teaching me boxing techniques okay uh, so like the the drills pretty much um then they added in a little bit of kicks and defenses and that's more into kickboxing mm-hmm. uh but also like the second half of every class is just wrestling um so for now it's just full on wrestling i know that uh once i'm there like for 5 months i i will probably start switching into judo a little bit more and they add a little bit of um jiu jitsu mm. as well Um but yeah so I started in this academy at the beginning of summer. Um my previous experience I had a black belt in taekwondo. Um and so that's that's a different type of martial art and when you go into MMA like from a taekwondo background like you get mauled. <laughs> you get more yes but at the same time you get like you got your own style of doing things sure. and everyone there has got like doing it so differently. Mm-hmm. Um which Hey, it might might be a bigger life lesson, I guess. Mm. Uh you guys just got to play to your strengths. Exactly. Uh so yeah. And that's Does everybody there have some sort of martial arts training before they came there? So, some of them do, others don't. Most of the guys that I've seen are like big guys, like you know what I'm saying, like yeah. heavyweight category, of course. Yeah. And they have a background in wrestling. Okay. So, when I have to pummel with them, when I have to actually like when i have to get with them like 
doing takedowns. And like, I can take them down if I, if I do the technique properly. But for them, it's just easy. Their strength because they're big. Mm -hmm. And they spare no expense. They literally just toss me up like I'm a ragdoll. A ragdoll, bro. It's just, <laughs> it's so, just, I'm just thrown around. <laughs> do you also like compliment your uh, martial arts training with, I don't know, weightlifting, calisthenics or something like that? Or uh, So no? right now I'm working two part-time jobs. So it, it's I tough. don't really have any time <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah, to compliment. Uh, but mostly, mostly for them it's just cardio and jump rope, um, push-ups. But I know that complementing it with something like that would be good. Mm. Just got no time. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so let's talk about your jobs, bro. Because that's why I, that's why I brought you here, right? Okay. Um, so those of who don't know Andre, he's fucking big, big in crypto. Uh, he lives, breeds, um, and uh, what's the third thing that 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 comes? He lives and breeds crypto. Let's You're just le leave invests, it at that. Maybe buys. <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> um, so, bro, okay, tell me this. We also had like chat about this the other day, you, me, and Doug, when you were like um, explaining NFTs to me. So, yeah. how about we go back there one more time? We start with NFTs and then we, you know, go deep and whatever comes our way. What are NFTs? Let's let's start there. Okay, so I think in order to first define what an NFT is. Uh, you have to you have to define what the blockchain is. Okay. Okay. And so a lot of people I know that for them blockchain might be this word that's like up in the clouds. So they don't really understand it. Um, and the way I've tried to understand it is just imagining an Excel spreadsheet that everyone has access to, everyone has a copy of, and there are individuals that we call miners that are making sure <laughs> that every single copy of the spreadsheet matches so that we're all agreeing mm. that every single data point there is facts. Okay. Right? And so this is what the miners do and they have different ways of doing it and they do it um, through solving an encryption algorithm. Some blockchains use the SHA-56 one, mm -hmm. uh, Ethereum uses a different one, I don't exactly remember the name. Um, but through that, they can, you then have this shared, like validated, shared, scalable um, data structure. Uh, that is the blockchain. Okay. And so we started with the Bitcoin blockchain. Of course, you can look at its drawbacks. Super energy inefficient. It's horrible for the environment. Literally consumes as much electric power as like the country of Norway. Really? Yes, that's, that's crazy facts. Like the whole Bitcoin network, it's consuming that much electricity. So let's say the Bitcoin... How many computers or systems are there on the Bitcoin network? Do, you know, do we know that? Oh, I don't know. Billions or millions? I would go into I would go into millions. Okay. Go into okay. But it, it was like a craze. Everyone trying to mine. Everyone yeah, trying to yeah. make passive income, of mm. course. Um, so that's that's what happened with with Bitcoin. It was initially built as a transactions network um, for people to send money internationally, because you do have to pay some hefty fees and. Sending money abroad is like the lifeblood for a lot of people yeah. in different countries in the world. Been there, done that. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, so it's um, you definitely feel the pain point, but at the same time, um, Bitcoin then became something else. Mm. Just because of the way it was structured, the fact that it can only do three to seven transactions per second, it's... Super slow. It's too slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's too slow and it's not a scalable chain because it's one chain. It's only one cross-validated database, you only have one blockchain. Uh, but then we have Ethereum by this guy called Vitalik 
Turing. He was one of the co-founders of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Widely credited with coming up with the idea. And Ethereum is one of the one of the blockchains that, well, the first blockchain that decided to integrate functionality into this database. So he said, what if we could integrate smart code, automations, smart. Okay. functions, mm -hmm. into, into this data structure? What if we could use smart code to interact with this structure okay. that is called a blockchain and to store value there and to and to interact with it, also, you know, calling calling data from it and writing data from it. Right? Okay. Right. Uh, that's what's known as a smart contract. Okay. And so, as as he was developing Ethereum, he thought about different standards, um, different like he's a vision visionary, of course. Sure. Uh, coming up with the the concept of tokens, coming up with the to concept of non fungible tokens, and now the non transferable tokens, which are like it's this is more like down along in the pipeline and all that. A lot of people in the crypto ecosystem are super excited about okay. uh, non-transferable tokens. So I'll walk you through all of them. There's um, the regular token, which is the fungible one, and that's where the F in NFT comes from. Because mm -hmm. um, <laughs> fungible means basically, think about it like a dollar. Um, if you have a dollar there and I have a dollar here, um, we can exchange them and nobody gains anything. It's zero sum. Like We just exchanged a dollar and your dollar is the same as my dollar. Okay. So that's that's the concept of fungibility. So uh, these tokens are the same. But we exchange dollars. So what do you mean by there's no exchange of value when you say about you it's, know? It's because they're all worth the same and they're all equal. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying like let's say, but all the dollars are not equal, right? We have like a hundred dollar bill, we have a twenty dollar bill. Right. So it has to be. So if you have a hundred dollar bill and I have a hundred dollar bill, yeah. We don't really benefit from exchanging that. You okay. Know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, because like at the end of the day, we both have hundred dollars, even if we exchange it. Exactly. They have the same value. Okay. And so, but the concept of fungibility means that you could have a lot of different copies of something that has the same value, mm -hmm. um, and they're all interchangeable. And so that's what he called the ERC twenty. Okay. Say, say that line again. Which the concept one? of fungibility is. Yeah. The, the concept of fungibility is. The fact that you have a large number of tokens that are indistinguishable from each other, okay, and they have the same value. Okay, so yeah, all the let's say all the Bose headphones of, or or all, all the MacBook Pros, they're all fungible because they're all same. Their specs well, are same. If if they're if they're being sold and they're new and they're all sold at the <coughs> same price, because okay. if they're used, then you, you get into those Okay, differences. so a yeah. better example would be the chairs that are lying around in the studio right now. Yeah, well, honestly, um, they're probably worth the same, yeah. Yeah, right, let's say all Wouldn't be my best example. My best example would be the dollar. Okay. If you think about it, the, just, just the dollar, like one for one, it's, it's the same. Okay. So, so yeah, that's fungibility. But then we go into non-fungibility, which means, okay, what happens when um, you don't have the same value? when one token is worth more than another just because of the token itself. So that's what they call the ERC721 protocol. And this is ERC stands for Ethereum Request for Comment. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a smart contract, a function that interacts with the Ethereum blockchain and it wants to write uh, the characteristics of this digital token. Mm -hmm. So what characteristics? We think about uh, the limited supply which isn't really, really important to look at. 
Um, you look at the minting mechanism, which is like, can you create new tokens in the future and how many and at what rate? Mm. Uh, you look at the burning mechanism, which is, okay, if you can create tokens, you can destroy them. Um, and a lot of different protocols are, have really poor token design. Uh, and, and you can look at different examples. You can look at Axie Infinity, for example, which is a, um, a decentralized gaming platform. And it's, they, they had a horrible hack a couple of days ago, and their, their token was just not designed properly. Mm. Um, so I'm currently working on actually a thesis on that. On, at the Kasonic, we're working at understanding what good token design looks like. Okay. And so, so yeah, there's there's the creation of the token, which is called minting. Yeah. And then there's the bur the burning of the token, destruction. Destruction. We call it burn. Okay. Um. So you want to have those balancing forces playing a balancing act so that the prices don't explode or drop. Right. You, you want to have that kind of stability. Uh, think about it as supply and demand. Supply and demand and security. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's kind of the concept there. Mm. Um. And so you can code all those uh, and the initial price for the token. So you can code all of that into the ERC protocol mm -hmm. and write that into the blockchain and okay. give wallets the ability to purchase or transfer those mm -hmm. tokens. And so the, you, you have this concept of interoperability with like the fact that you have the ERC20 protocol. It means that anyone who's building an exchange platform, yeah. for example, you want to build something like Coinbase, Coinbase, or you want to build something like OpenSea yeah. to um, mint new NFTs, right? They are all calling the same function, the ERC721 for the NFTs. And since they're, they're all built with the same building blocks, you can exchange them on the platform and mm. it just really... It okay. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so the NFT explores the concept of what if they all had different value. And it gets interesting and it also gets to a lot of speculation where People are trying to just create projects for for the sole purpose of profiting from the project, yeah. right? Um, but not in not in the sense that someone would create content like you would create a podcast, expecting to get some views, right? Yeah. Like, but like what they're doing is like, okay, I'm going to create this um, this ugly image because let's be honest, they're ugly. A lot of them are ugly, and you create this ugly image, and you're like, okay, I'm going to get in on the hype and I'm basically gonna put together a community on Discord. I'm gonna get a lot of people excited about this and like the lore and the story behind this ugly ass image. And and then what happens? Like you you start with a floor price. The more people are interested since you have a limited supply, your price is gonna go up. Go up. And then since you own the since you own the equity in that NFT project, then your equity just goes up and then you're making money from that. Mm -hmm. But then comes the, the point where you have to really know when to sell. Um, when to sell. And so what a lot of a lot of what's happening these days is just the rug pulling, uh, which is basically the concept of putting together an NFT. You create a Discord community around it. You get people super excited and pumping up the price because yeah. if everyone buys in, they can increase the price because there's limited sure. quantity. Um, and after they do that, a select group of people can say, okay, we're going to sell everything we have. And the people who invested last, they're the suckers. <laughs> and so of course. That's, that's what's called a rug pool. And, and so they build, this, they build this project and then they sell everything like 
that instantly and then they make their money quick and the people that thought it was actually going to be a long-term project mm -hmm. it was actually going to be something that generated value yeah the people that actually invested expecting a return they get fucked over so now i have a question for you and so you what what are the like you talked about equities and nfts right um yes. so what the what what does it look like does let's say you minted an nft you have your 8-bit or ugly ass picture of yourself uh <laughs> on an nft so and i i buy that nft let's say on OpenSea. so is it like the usual you know piece of art and it has like copyright rights and ownership rights or it it's all it's all equity how does that do you, do you understand what i'm trying to say mm, yeah I, i think i do uh, i'm gonna try it So I'll try and give you an answer okay. and see if that's exactly what you were asking. Sure. Um, so think about intellectual property with NFTs. It's it's complicated mm -hmm. because anyone it's can new. screenshot. Anyone can screenshot your ugly picture. Yeah. But um, I believe a lot of what the people in the ecosystem say is that the value is coming from everyone with the shared Excel spreadsheet per se, the blockchain. Right? Blockchain. Yeah. Everyone has the same registry that 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 picture belongs to you and so it, it it comes from that concept of we all agree on the fact that rashad owns this ugly ass picture mm -hmm. and so <laughs> because it's in the blockchain and everybody can yeah. just like cross check yeah and everyone anyone and anyone can cross check yeah um so i believe that's where the rights come in mm -hmm. and that's how they're enforcing rights uh but since it's a new space i wouldn't even think about it in terms of the traditional intellectual property framework we have i know that in the future moving forward there needs to be a new a, a new revised model version yeah that emerges and recognizes that okay we have digital assets it's a, it's a thing mm -hmm. but digital the fact that they're digital means people can copy them and screenshot them and download them and for free and it doesn't really make any difference so um you i believe that's for that's for the government to figure out mm. as well like maybe there's a new type of patent you can have maybe a new type of copyright on digital assets you have to explore that mm -hmm. but it's definitely an interesting space like nfts nft investment blew up 12000% sure. 2020 to 2021 this is the intern in you coming out with numbers right uh, now <laughs> getting you the number the analyst is coming out um, <laughs> but yeah it's definitely an, an interesting market i think with trading volumes around 2021 if i'm not getting this wrong it's like 50 something billion of of tra trading volume 15 billion 50 billion dollars um around that Jesus. Trading, trading value yeah and you see big brands getting in too so um i'm very i'm critical of the nft space because of the rug pulls because of the scams because mm -hmm. of the people that just have ugly projects and yeah. they just want to extract value it's it's a value extract there it's not a value creation mm -hmm. and when you see that you, you know that that's not a healthy yeah ecosystem and need, change needs to happen so um that's what i that's what i've seen from from that regard i minted my first nft uh in november 2021 um being a physicist i created it on the speed of light um i guess i thought you know like if everyone's like putting stupid shit on the blockchain and owning it yeah. right what if i own the speed of light limited edition there's only one of them um so and you see that that naive kind of thinking that i had and i'll, I'll call myself out on it uh <laughs> that naive kind of thinking i had like hey someone might buy this you know at the price of the speed of light 
$299.3 something dollars. Like, Jesus. bro, this is... Some people were thinking like that. That's what I'm saying. Like, you think about a project called, like, CryptoKitties. Like, what the fuck? CryptoKitties? Look, yeah, you can look it up. CryptoKitties. What does it tell me? It's literally a group of NFTs of kitties. Just cats. Like Hello Cats or just cats? It's just cats. Like, animated cats. Like, yeah. drawn cats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. The kitty verse. Um, it's it, it's ridiculous. It's, sometimes it's ridiculous. You think about the bored apes. That one is the one I'm like, because now now they're they're pivoting. Yeah. They're, they're expanding their their offering. Now they have the, well, they always had the bored ape yacht club, right? Yeah. And now they're releasing a fungible token, okay. called the ape coin. Ape. Okay. Yeah. So they're they're gonna use that, um, I believe, to have like a governance structure. Um, moving forward. So let's say if we want to get abstract about the fungible token example, is Bitcoin a fungible token? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So ApeCoin would be something like fungible. Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. ApeCoin is fungible, but the individual ape that someone might buy for hundreds of thousands of dollars, that's a non-fungible token because it's a unique type of ape. Yeah. And it in the blockchain, it has a particular signature. Of why that is unique to it. Of it okay. Yeah. Okay. And th that's that's the main difference. Like when you, when you look at the back end uh, of the actual token, mm -hmm. fungible tokens have same signature. Mm -hmm. Non fungible tokens have a unique signature. Of course. And that's you can think about it that way. Okay. Um, so that's what we saw with NFTs. A lot of potential there. Uh, and there's been talks of non transferable tokens, which are the NTTs. Okay. We'll get that in a second. We'll get that in a second. Yeah. Um, do you remember the because we talked about scam and how the space has this thing of rug pulling going on right now. Do you remember this, uh, the thing that Lana Rhodes did? Did you follow that? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I follow. So yeah. even I'm not sure like if I'm getting this 100% right, but what, what happens is she released her NFT, which was e either a, for, a, for, um, a photo of her or a nude photo of her, um, mm. built the hype around it and uh, like, oh, this is going to be the next big thing. And it's, it's not just a picture. We'll give you perks, we'll give you some sorts of additional, you know, uh, owners, uh, like equity benefits, sort of, like ownership benefits. And then she just fucked off with the money. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a rug pull right there. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sounds to me like a rug pull. I'd have to look into it, but yeah, yeah. absolutely sounds like a rug pull. <laughs> okay, so this is the scam that you're talking about. Okay, interesting. And, and people are running away with millions of dollars. Sure. There's no regulation around it. Did you see the the maybe this is a this is not like a validated news, but the guy who bought Jack Dorsey's first tweet lost all of his money. That's not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why it's not surprising? Is it? It's a it's a historical moment, but um, I, I believe there were two sales of it. Okay. To, to what I recall, like there was like a lower ticket one, and there was like a, a really expensive resale. Yeah. That went on. Okay. So I think there was a sucker that really paid a lot more yeah. on the second resale. I think the first, the first sale was. I think the f the first one maybe would be two fifty k or something like that. That sounds reasonable to me. And the guy well, who lost all of its money, or who I read about, I think it was something around nine or eight point nine million dollars. Exactly. So he, that's there's there's a certain diligence you have to do when looking at these things and trying to figure out like what actual value they have. Uh -huh. Like any hint that you might have works because in this space, like it's so, it's so new, it's, it's like the Wild West mixed with like a fire hose of information. And this is what my fund manager always says, like 
uh, learning Web3, learning things about blockchain is like putting your mouth directly to a fire hose mm. and hoping for the best. And so <laughs> I really love that analogy because that's how it's felt for me. Yeah. Like, this past year, it's just there's so much info and there's still so much that I don't know. And sure. So you have that. Yeah. Um, so a lot, a lot of a lot of rug pulling and so how do you then how do you trust sources let's say you're re researching about your thesis right the thesis that you're writing with your fund manager yeah. and, and at your internship so what kind of resources or sources you weigh while doing the research and which ones do you trust which one do you don't trust so there's a spectrum of course sure um, you definitely want to go for recognized um, publishers as mm -hmm. well because and then there are a couple out there like you can look at TechCrunch articles you can look at decrypt you can look at the block you can look at coindesk uh coinflip uh coin telegraph like uh, all the coin right um and they all publish everything right um so that's that's one data source another data source is just market insights uh that come from open sourced analytics projects that are looking at the data on the blockchain and the blockchain is this open source yeah. database. So anyone can build a scraper and just get the data they want and put together a, a real time dashboard. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing the emergence of these and I'll give you the example of uh, DeepDAO, which is looking at um, all the Deep different- DeepDAO. DeepDAO. So Deep D-A-O. D-E-E-P. DAO. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. That's where I'm going. And so they're, they're this open source analytics dashboard uh, that's letting you understand how many decentralized communities are being formed and how much money they've fundraised, like tracking that in real time. And so um, it's interesting, right? And then there's, uh, there's another one called, I think it was the CoinFlip Terminal. CoinFlip Terminal? I'm not sure if it's coin flip, but it, it is a terminal and it looks a lot like a Bloomberg terminal. Okay. <laughs> like with all the graphs and all the different numbers and indices. Yeah. Um, and that's also for decentralized um, organizations, which okay. are a whole new other topic okay. um, that I spend a lot of time in during yeah. my internship. Um, but, but yeah, that's okay. sources. And then there's the third source and that's more like putting your mouth to the fire hose. Um, that's looking at Twitter. And I know that that sounded horrible, right? But, but if you can get good references from recognized investors, recognized founders in yeah. Twitter, they're super active yeah. on Twitter. So you can get some interesting stuff there. Who's like one of the, or I don't know, a few big ones, a few big investors or a few big personalities in the Twitter space around like NFTs and crypto? Okay, so you got to look at the different there's different types. Okay. Uh, so you think about institutional investors. Um, you think about Andres and Horowitz. They're like super big with their media effort. They're pretty much a media company at mm -hmm. this point. Uh, but they're a legendary investment firm um, that invested early on in Airbnb, I believe. Uh, oh, you talking big about hits. Uh, Anderson and Horowitz, the bald guy? Yeah, the bald guy. Okay, yeah, he was also on Joe Rogan. <laughs> he was? Oh, yeah. There you go. You know, yeah. Andres and uh, I think. I think that's more You'll enjoy that episode. Look, look that up. Yeah, yeah. Just send me the link. I'll yeah, check yeah. it out. Okay. Um, but yeah, so A16C, it's it's really prominent there, and there's different investment partners okay. from A16C that are super active in the space. Uh, the one that I really follow is called Chris Dixon. Mm -hmm. Um, he's like leading the effort, and and recent Horowitz like recently announced like a 4.5 billion dollar blockchain fund. Jesus. And that's 
that's unprecedented for blockchain investing. That's $4.5 billion. That's, mm. that's a huge And fund. a huge fund with all the resources. Dedicated for that. And A16C provides like a lot more than just funds because mm-hmm. um, they, they changed how traditional venture capital was being done. They decided that um, they were going to have this model where they were servicing their founders instead of just giving them money. What do you mean servicing? So let's say you have a project, an idea, okay. right? And you come to me and you want help, right? And I say, okay, bro, I'll give you $100 for 10%. Right? Okay. And let's say I do that and I invest mm-hmm. in, in something a lot like an angel investor would do, right? Um, I give you that money and then that could be the value that I provided you with. And now you just got to deal with me because I gave you that money. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I could be even more proactive about it and be like, bro, listen, like, I'll give you these $100, but I can also help you with marketing. I can also help you building your brand. I can help you with legal services. I can help you setting up your legal entity. Mm. I can help you um, build an audience. I can help you with hiring, yeah. which is a huge problem for sure. startups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they really disrupted traditional venture with that model. Now every VC tries to be what they call a value add investor. Yeah. Um, and they say that they add value, but some of them don't. You know, and if you look at the stats and the analysts coming out again, yeah. um, three out of four founders are not satisfied with, with the, the VC. value added. Yeah. Okay. And a big percentage also think that like that the VC that invested in their project that's not really knowledgeable about the space. So they're just throwing money, money at it. So, but yeah, that's the long answer to the type of investor, like interesting personalities in the Twitter space. Uh, there's like NFT enthusiasts that got rich at the beginning and then they became like experts, like subject matter experts in NFTs because they started at the beginning. Uh, there's one that I follow called Corey.eth. And with them, you see that they have like, ugly profile pictures and it's their nft that yeah. they bought like a crypto punk as an nft oh i, I saw like uh, i think twitter now sort of like allows yes. that either they link it to coins uh, coinbase or something or OpenSea, and you can like mm-hmm. have the nft profile picture i i definitely want to check that out i'm not big on buying nft profile pictures just because they're too it's it's too overpriced mm-hmm. and it's honestly like they're ugly yeah um so <laughs> So yeah, there's Corey.eth, this one that I really, that I really enjoy following. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have to look at my like my Twitter feed. Like there's a lot of, because they have weird names. That that's oh, sure. what I'm saying. Like sure. they don't. It's it's not like the normal internet personality that has like their full name mm-hmm. <laughs> and a blue check mark. It's more of like a guy that's called like six five two seven one blue check mark, and he's got like a crypto punk in there, and he's like super active, and he always has like contrarian takes, and like bro. Listen, like, that's his brand, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's an anonymous brand. And mm-hmm. it, that speaks to the culture of blockchain and Web3, where anonymity and data privacy takes center, mm. center spot. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, like, we were talking about this, like, earlier off air, too. And again, if anybody's listening this closely, they'll understand that you're not a massive fan of the application of art with NFTs, um, like the NFT technology and art, such as like the bunny, I'm sorry, the board ape and whatever. I'm not a fan of scams. I do think there is a place for art in NFTs, though. 
Okay. But the scams is just ridiculous. Like something needs to be done about it. Mm. You know? And there, there needs to be standards set. Um, and that's the common trope with crypto. Like, listen, there's a lot of rules that need to be set, a lot of standards that needs to be set because we can't assume everyone's a good player. But know? then, a good actor. But then, doesn't this sort of like tackles the talks of decentralization? Because crypto, Bitcoin, NFTs are sort of like a part of the decentralization moment, uh, movement. And when you sort of like add regulations mm -hmm. and somebody to oversee the, you know, governance yeah. of sorts, doesn't that just tackles the basic ideology of the, of the product? That's why it's, it's challenging to navigate the regulations. Like cause it's a space that thrives on not being regulated and being like free in that regard. Uh, but at the same time, I believe the own platforms, the platforms that are allowing people to publish and sell NFTs, they can they can go a long way, just setting standards mm. for behavior or incentivizing good behavior and punishing bad behavior, and that can be done through token offers as well. Like, if you behave properly, you can be rewarded, and that's an interesting incentive model that just pops up now that you can transfer tokens so easily and mm. without fees. Well. Ideally, without fees. And you were talking, and that. you told me about one of the blockchains that has this, where they they have minimal fees about for every transaction, right? That's that's the value proposition for pretty much any new layer one blockchain that's come about. Okay. Uh, we're faster, and we're more scalable, and you can implement smart code. With mm. them. So that's that's their value proposition. If they can, and and we're secure, and so. Um, they have they have this triangle of security, scalability, and I think it was interoperability. If I'm not getting it wrong, and interoperability is how you can add the blockchain to your uh, product, so make it more functional, kind of thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so it's this triangle because not every single chain can have all three. Pretty much, it's like the impossible trio. Okay. Uh, but I would have to check again if it is interoperability. Okay. Uh, but I was reading about this uh, a couple days ago. Um, so there are blockchains that rely a lot on the security side. Oh, no, it was speed. Oh, third was speed? Speed, yeah. Just transaction speed. Okay. So if you think about a blockchain that is super secure, uh, like Bitcoin, mm. Bitcoin network, due to its algorithm, due to the fact that it's using as much electricity of Nor as Norway in a year, like... <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> it's, super, it's super secure. Mm. Because it is validating every single new transaction block through encryption algorithm, and the difficulty of validating these blocks goes up proportional to the amount of people that are trying to mine or validate these data points, mm. the miners, right? So you have this proportional relationship. That's just how Bitcoin was built. And that means that it gets increasingly... So you get diminishing return, returns pretty much for your computing power. You need to always have the most powerful computing power, mm. the, the most powerful like computing mining rigs, pretty much. You, you need to. And so that's, that's where you saw the, the rise of application-specific integrated circuits. That's the, the ASIC miners, uh, which are just electrical. <coughs> I'm sorry. They're just circuits that are built to process this algorithm, the SHA-256, they're just built to do it efficiently, um, the, as efficiently as possible. Uh, 
Mm. But the problem with this and with mining, and I, I got into crypto because I wanted to do mining. Because I was like, listen, like, as, as anyone probably who got drawn into the space in the last couple of years, they wanted to make money and they didn't want to put in the work for it. Mm. And that's, you know, that's... That was you. That was me. And it's something to watch out for because, you know, that now I know that if you really want something of value, you need to work for you it. You need to work for every it. Every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... And, and well, you see it when you're trying to buy a miner. Like you gotta have your savings, and you gotta buy, let's say, the Ant Miner S9 to to mine Bitcoin, right? And so you get it. Um, and it also like your profitability is going to vary. It, it depends on the price of electricity sure. in the region right? mm -hmm. and where you are. If you get in access to industrial rates, or if you get access to residential rates, like that changes a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of your bottom line, it, it, just, it, it can eat it up, the electricity. And if you bought a miner that is old, then as more miners are hopping in the network with better specs, with better specs then you're earning less. Mm -hmm. And so it's, for me, it became a hard sell. At, at some point, when you have to save up forty thousand dollars to buy a miner that Jesus. is actually profitable, hundred dollars a day, something like think think about it in that regard. Um, they might not be the exact numbers. I'm giving you ballpark numbers. Exactly, of course. You spend forty k to buy a miner, and you're making a hundred a day. Yeah, you can you can make your investment back. You can crunch the numbers real quick. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of initial investment. What happens if the price of Bitcoin falls? Mm -hmm. Then whatever reward you're getting just got devalued. Just like right these days. And and you and some people take out loans to buy miners, and so you, you ideally expected Bitcoin to remain at the price it was, so that whatever reward you got was enough to pay for the loan at least. But what happens? Oh, the price of Bitcoin drops. Well, now you can't pay back the loan. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, the water went back. Like so when you think about a tsunami, mm -hmm. uh, when a tsunami is coming, um, water just retrieves and we see it a lot back in Costa Rica like when you have like a minor tsunami like the water just recedes from yeah. the shoreline uh -huh. and that's what we're seeing right now like before a big hit water recedes from the shoreline and then boom you have the big the big wave. tsunami wave yeah Jesus and so that's that was a saying that I think I don't know who, who exactly said it but it was thrown around in uh, at the Casonic they're like okay so when the, when the water starts retre retreating there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be naked. <laughs> that's that you'll see who's naked now, and, and it's so it's I see that the, what we're seeing right now with uh, what they call the bear market, the crypto winter we're having right now, all these cryptocurrencies going to shit, yeah. all these NFT projects dying, yeah. getting scammed, getting hacked. Like oof, there's a hack every week, mm -hmm. even like every couple of days. Like it's crazy. Like you know, the Axie Infinity hack. You think about. It. The Celo Network hack, the Board Ape Yacht Club hack. Like, there's so many different hacks that are going on, and and some of them are not even like actual like computing hacker. Like, someone hacked a computer and hacked the the network and did all that shit. Like, most of the hacks are just social or psychological hacks. What do you mean by that? It's like a scam. Okay. Like, yeah, but they use blockchain to structure the scam. So it kind of looks like a ha like a real thing, but it's a scam in essence. Yeah, so you got to be very thoughtful. Like people asking you to okay, can I talk to you for a couple of minutes so that we can talk about passive income? Like, hey, bro, shut oh, up. Oh, I've seen those bro roaming around campus. <laughs> there's, there's there's people like that and 
they reach out to you on Twitter, they reach out to you on Instagram when, when they see that your profile has anything to do with cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yeah, I get texts, I get people trying to really scam me. Like I, now that, because I put it on my socials, like I put it on my LinkedIn yeah. and I'm like, okay, so Web3 venture capital, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. That's what I want to do. And now you got to deal with these people, you know, these scammers, these bots that are coming at you and they want your data. So you now, like for me, it's a whole new experience. Like I need to take care of my user data. Yeah. And previously I didn't think about that, but now I do. Mm. Yeah. Because it's, it's a big area of vulnerability. So I'm, I'm looking at my passwords. Like, well, do you do the. Can't use the same password on all platforms, you know? That's just of course, that's what I want, bro. But a lot of, a lot of people do that. As consumers, they do it like that. Do you, do you uh, use the passwords that uh, Google Chrome or, or Firefox suggest, like with all the different kinds of numbers? Okay. I do. Sometimes I do. But they're saved on Google. On the browser, yeah. And like, I feel like that's super, super vulnerable. You think that? I feel like it might be. I don't know if it is. I honestly feel like it's not that safe. I still have it there. Mm. I, I mean, me too. Um, and let's, we'll talk about it off air. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, let's go back to NTTs, non-transferable tokens. Yes. Tell me about it's it. It's a new token standard that's happening. Um, there's a push for it to be implemented. There's a what? There's a push okay. for it to be implemented. They, they say it's the next big thing. But they also say that about a lot of things. So <laughs> non-transferable tokens or soul-bound tokens basically explore the idea of um, what if I transferred you a token and then it's just permanently in your wallet. It stays there. You can't get it out. You might think, well, why would I want that? You know? mm. And by the way, you can choose what to accept into your wallet, by the way. It's not like you're just going to get... A bunch anything of like a Shiba Inu or something like you're that. You're not gonna get a bunch of shit branded into that wallet, and then it's just useless. Like that's something they have to not allow people to do. Um, but yeah, so that, that's a concept. Like it's it's a unique token, like an NFT, right? But it is tied to your wallet, hmm. and you can't transfer it. And by transfer, we mean um, doing transactions. Yeah, you can't sell it. You can't get rid of it. It's just, and I can't buy anything with that token too. No, you cannot. It's, so it's just like a trophy sitting it's in my wallet. It's a badge. It's a reward. It's, hmm. Yeah, well, it's like trying to sell your like, like when you graduate, you get a degree. Yeah, it's like trying to sell that. Like, bro, the blockchain won't let you sell the degree. That thing. Yeah, and so an application that I was interested in thinking about was. Um, accomplishment recognition using non-transferable tokens mm. think about education. certificates and there's a lot of people that fake their certificates like i can say i can code in solidity i can code in java i can code in java i, I can say that i do that but what certifies it mm. you know because well, what if i just hacked the linkedin <laughs> the linkedin rewards thing you know uh, the linkedin certificate program like you know what what if i cheated on it so recognition of accomplishment is an interesting application for soulbound tokens. I just want to say if somebody hacked the link, LinkedIn rewards or something like that to get a certificate, that guy can definitely code. I mean, maybe, maybe cheating. Che cheating is a better, yeah. Cheating yeah we'll go with cheating. <laughs> if you can hack it, well then. <laughs> Good luck, bro. Then, right? <laughs> You'll get far in life. <laughs> okay, um, so it yeah. just sits in my wallet. Yeah. A badge of honor, sorts of. 
Yeah, like when they give a soldier a medal of honor, mm, mm. maybe less honorable, of course, not comparable, but it's not like he's going to sell that. Yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, maybe if times are difficult. Bro, I would never sell that. I mean, bro. Like, like, I would just keep that, bro. Really? Even if you're homeless? Yeah. It's your badge of honor. It's yours. I wouldn't sell that. Okay. But okay. that's just me, you know. That's Audience uh, getting to know Andre's integrity right now. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, that's it's interesting when you think about um, academic institutions recognizing coursework, mm -hmm. using that, because um, their databases are shit. How new they're, is they're, this? They're a mess. How new is this entity? Like, did did it come out with like with very recent? Last five years? This is very recent. Less than five. This is very recent. So it just popped. Like 2020, I think. Jesus. Because talks were starting about it. 2020. Like, mm. Same with DAOs. DAOs, they started in 2016, the first one. Uh, and a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. And this is a collective of individuals that pool money together. And through a smart contract on the blockchain, they can decide on what to do with that money. I have a question for you now. And so that, that's another thing that they say. It's the next big thing. And it started, it reemerged in 2020. Um, and it's, it's making waves right now. It's really interesting. Do you know the... You know, like how we have these different kind of company models in America, LLCs and yeah. um, uh, Inc. like company in corporations. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you know about this thing called cooperations? A cooperative? Yeah, a cooperative. I'm not yes, familiar or. with the actual like benefits or drawbacks. But do you understand like the concept of it? Like how similar, my question was like how similar is a cooperative to a DAO or how different is it? I would have to look at the definition. Okay. You can look it up. Look at the definition of a cooperative. Let me look up. That's a nice cooperative. I wish we all had a Jamie in the studio. So I'll be the Joe Rogan and Jamie is going to look, look up the definition. Um, so like Google says this. Okay. Mutual assistance in working toward a common goal. Business organization. Joint. Okay, a farm business or other organization which is owned and run jointly by its members who share the profits or benefits. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that sounds like that. That sounds like that. Co a cooperative on the blockchain, enforced through the blockchain, Blo trustless pretty mm -hmm. much. Because, well, you, how do you know who's going to distribute the reward, mm. the earnings? Who does it here? Mm. Probably an intermediary. Probably an escrow yeah. company that's that's coming in and being like, okay, just we'll take in the payments of all of your business activity and we'll distribute equally because they need to have a third party mm -hmm. to ensure trust. We don't, and that's what DAOs change, you know. So yeah, I know it's an amazing question. I definitely want to look more into cooperatives and what drawbacks they have because we can learn from that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Another Sorry. idea for Andre's thesis. There you got a, just a part of the next iteration. It's just redoing it again, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, that's it's, it's a constant process of going back to it and being like, wait, I was wrong about this. Okay, now I'm right about this thing, but I'm wrong about this other thing. So, I mean, bro, that's how, that's how you learn. That's how you make your arguments sharper. You cycle through. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But yeah. I remember like talking and listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson and he said the first book that he that he wrote his first ever book 
he rewrote the entire book 20 or 30 times just to make like each sentence and each line sharper and yeah. sharper and sharper. The power of iteration. Exactly. It's, it's part of what, what the fund manager at Decasonic always tells me. And to me, it's just mind blowing because uh, he's like, <laughs> I asked him like, you know, when do I know that something is polished enough to show you? Because he would just give me feedback and he would just find all the holes in what I was saying and boom, just destroyed in seconds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but he, he told me, and I'll never forget this quote, so if you, can, if you, you want to remember that quote, like, it changed my life for sure. This is, this is being immortalized right now, bro. They, he said, perfection is the enemy of progress. So true. Yeah. So true. So true, yeah. And, and so after that, I was just sending him my half-baked... <laughs> 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 not the outcome he wanted. Well, there you go, bro. Now you get to give me more feedback, you know. Now destroy it in milliseconds. Now you get to destroy it again. <laughs> so, um, but but yeah, no, he's just getting in the spirit of, hey, like it's fine to, it's okay to fail. And then he also he he doubled down on it and he said, you know, like you gotta fail, you gotta fail fast, and you gotta fail often. Hmm. And that's the mindset that I'm adopting right now like fail fast and fail think often. about your previous failures in your life all the different things that you've been through and like what if when you were facing them you would have said i gotta fail fast and fail often to be the best mm. version of myself you know and so shit i'm trying to do that i'm trying to get on that you know? what was the latest fail often fail fast uh, oh with my thesis okay like, i came up with um so my thesis was on these investment collectives, these cooperatives on the chain um, that focus on investing in startups. The DAOs. The DAOs. Mm. Investing in new companies. In the same, pretty much the same way a venture capitalist would do. Uh, and where do they come in? We're like, what's, what can they do and what will they do? What's my prediction? That was the thesis about. Um, and the direction that it initially took is like, I... I looked at the different potential outcomes and I saw that there was a really big outcome that in a big opportunity that could be targeted. And then I, my thinking the first time I did it, I neglected the other opportunities. And I just said, this is the biggest one. We got to focus on this. This is my thesis. This is my prediction, the most optimistic. And that was destroyed. <laughs> that was like I say, well, that's what I would say fail because he was like, how do you know this is going to happen? And, why, why is, like, I understand your reasoning for how this can play out and your prediction and the numbers, the actual numbers that, that this opportunity represents, like the market size and market potential and the growth rates and all that stuff. Like, that's validated and fine. But just how do you know that's going to play out in that optimistic way? Mm -hmm. Just because it's the best outcome doesn't mean it will be yeah. the outcome. The outcome, for sure. So... Well, that was a big learning moment for me. I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I know I'm optimistic, but now my reasoning and thinking is just biased towards, oh, the best outcome is the outcome. Outcome, yeah. And that's not how it is. So now I, I look at them base cases, optimistic and pessimistic, and I try to map my thinking that way. That way. So, so that you, was latest failure. Yeah. So I'm assuming you have already done an iteration of, the, of these two outcomes, best and pessimistic. Yeah, no, I already have. Okay. Version two. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So let's say you have the best outcome, you have the pessimistic, the worst outcome. Uh, so then do you 
how do you sort of like try to come at a point where you are let's say 60% of the show that I have a lot of ground covered in my analysis and now uh, I can see things or I can present this so something that they've taught me at well at the dorm room fund which is um I'm doing a fellowship for them mm -hmm. which is called the blueprint project they're supporting uh, underrepresented venture investors and so well I'm latino you know and so it's latinx except now latino but uh, we get a <laughs> But uh, we, we do get um, those opportunities, and it's amazing that they're doing that. And what they taught me is that when you're building a thesis, you got to look at the whole value chain. And so what are the different points where an activity needs to be done that creates value that is needed for the next thing, the next step? Say that again. So we look at the value chain, right? We look at what are the key activities in this chain, okay. the key points in okay. this chain that need to happen so that value is created and that value is used okay. in the next step of the chain. Can you give me an example? So value chain for venture capital, you start with um, fundraising from limited partners. Okay. And so that's, you go to endowment funds, you go to university endowments and you go to retirement funds and you're like, Pension okay. Funds. So I invest in this technology and I think it's going to blow up because of this and this and this reason. That's your thesis. Okay. You sell them on your thesis and then you got to like get commitments from them. And mm -hmm. so there are some key points there as you're fundraising mm -hmm. from LPs. But if you don't fundraise from your limited partners, then how are you going to invest? Mm. Which is the next activity? You got to, well, investing is not the next activity. Sourcing is the next activity. You got to find companies. And so if you don't find companies, how can you give them money? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's just basic. This is, it's, it's basic. Like if you don't do this, then this can't happen. Mm -hmm. um, okay. That's okay. the value chain. G got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Okay. 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 Interesting. So we find value chain and what, of, of what are the key points of the value chain that can be implemented to the next thing that yeah. creates value? Yeah. Okay. And so as you look at the value chain, you look at the different problems mm. with each point. So for venture capital, we looked at, uh, I looked at limited partner um, fundraising. We looked at sourcing. We looked at screening the mm. deals and mm -hmm. making sure you're getting the ones that you want. And then there's supporting. The, After investment, there's the value add that we were talking mm. about. They're supporting. Mm. And then uh, exit. You got to sell your position. Know the right time. Right time, find the right opportunity and make sure that all the interests are aligned as you're doing that. Mm. Uh, so there's, there's bugs with each one of those. And so you map those, and then you map out um, who's doing what activity in that value chain. Who I does see. that? Um, or what are another way to look at it is like, what are what are the different categories of investment firms in blockchain? And then you create a map, hmm. and you get a couple names in there, and you're like, okay, so I think we have the most popular names for this category, most popular for this category. This gives us an understanding of what each one is doing and where they all fit in the puzzle. Um, so you start with that, you map that out. Yeah. And Got then, it. Then you'll see some gaps as you do it. You'll see bugs, you'll see gaps with, with the current establishment, and then you can build a thesis around that. You can build a thesis around what you think mm. about those gaps, those issues. I see. So that's, that's how it typically goes for me. You know, there's some people that might do it differently but, Different, but that, that's how you do it that's how it's working for me yeah mm. 
And how much time does it take to, let's say, do all of this on average for you? So doing a thesis, the V1 will take me a week. It will take you a week. V2 will take me another week. Yeah. Mm. But it, this is because I'm working part-time. Sure. Part-time on campus here at Illinois Tech. And I'm also helping them with like another project. And so like they have me very, very split. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the stuff I'm doing. Yes. But, but do you think, but I'm pretty sure you can apply the things that you're doing for uh, Illinois Tech IIT to the uh, venture fund. Oh, we've seen that a lot. Mm-hmm. So another thing that we're doing is incubating two concepts yeah. uh, for startups in the Web3 space. At, at um, Kaplan? No, that's a venture. Okay. Yeah. And so I've used what I've learned from Kaplan, all the, the different things that you need to watch out for when you're putting together a new business. Mm. So there's a lot. A lot to unpack there, sure. you know? um, but that's all learnings I had from Kaplan Institute. Yeah. Really, like in, in terms of my own personal journey, like you need to find the next step so that you get to your goal mm-hmm. every single time. You, you try and find the next step. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? So I, I, I started joining a student org here on campus called Intinium, and they were all about entrepreneurship. And then I thought, hey, what's the next step? Oh, the entrepreneurship center on campus has this program they're trying to build. Maybe I can help them with that. It's about venture capital. I don't know a lot about venture capital. Let me learn about it. That's the next step. And then after working with them for eight months, I was like, well, what's the next step? What can I do? I found a fellowship uh, called the Gen C Scouts for venture capitalists that are our age. And it was crazy because th- these people, like the vibes were just amazing because they're Gen C. You know, they're, they joke around like we do. Um, and they think like we do. Mm. You know, it's, it's very, it's a very different like experience sure. to them. And then I, I finished that, and I was like, well, "What's the next step? You build up, right? You build up different programs with different reputations." Um, Start with Gen C, then I joined the Republic Venture Fellows Program, um, and now I was lucky enough to join the Dorm Room Funds Blueprint Program, which is well, Dorm Room Fund to me is like it's a whole new level. Mm. You know, it's an amazing fund. It's it's the premier student student investment fund. Um, so baby steps. Of course, mm-hmm. you start with baby steps. You try. It's like climbing ladders. Sure. You know, climbing a ladder. You just gotta go for the next one, um, with the goal in mind of okay, I wanna be an analyst in this industry and I wanna work here. Yeah. And because I, I love working there, I love doing this. Well, this is why this is why I, I hang out with you. <laughs> I don't know if I've told you this before, because but because you what? I hang out with you because <laughs> <laughs> you you want I mean you you know as fun but the, <laughs> but you're fucking focused right <laughs> and that's what I love about you because I think I feel like when I'm with you I'm also thinking about the 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 things that I want to do the things I want to get better at that's finding amazing, my bro. passions and and stuff it's like a, that it's an honor bro well if you say so <laughs> <laughs> well we have like a few more minutes um like seven or eight minutes to be approached. What do you want to talk about in the next seven to eight minutes? You tell me. Uh, tell me about the drip, the trip, the thrifting Bro, shit been, that you were talking about. I've been going thrifting. I, I went there yesterday for the first time. Did you go to the one on Halstead or in downtown? Um, I mean, there are many, but I know. It's called Village Thrift something. Okay. What is it's it? Uh, just off the Blue Line uh, Western Station. Okay. So it's northwest, okay. a little bit northwest, uh, near Logan Square. Near what? Logan Square. Oh, damn, bro, that's far. It's far, but I got some good drip there, bro. <laughs> okay. How many, how many outfits did you get? Um, 
I would have to calculate like the different combinations. Like, okay, like some course. math problem. <laughs> but like, what did you get? Okay, let's so I got a leather jacket. And like, I, I know that there, there's some people that have the stigma of like, thrifting. oh, I would never go thrifting. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like dirty clothes. They're used. Like, nah, bro, get out of here with that. Yeah. Like I, I bought this leather jacket. And this is crazy. This, well, of course, everyone listening to this is not seeing the jacket. But look at this. Soon they will. Soon they will. Listen, just touch this shit. This shit is real leather. Okay. Bro, I don't know the difference, so maybe it's not. Oh, you don't feel it when you touch something that's not real leather. Okay. This is real leather. Okay. And it's also, well, I don't know this fucking brand. I don't know. The, I don't care about the brands. It just looked epic. And yeah. I was like, you know. This looks epic, and it would probably cost like around hundred dollars. Yeah, and I got it for thirty. Hey, that's a steal, bro. Money moves. Right <laughs> um, and I needed to get some summer outfits because summer is Chicago here. winter is just super cold, and I don't have any summer outfits. So, yeah. um, got a pair of black shorts and um, got a uh, like a Hawaiian T-shirt. Bro, I want that. Except, bro, it was it's just the it's just the vibe you had. To, we we could go thrifting. Okay, we'll, we'll go thrifting, bro. Um, and so I got that. Self care Saturdays, eh? Exactly. Self care. Bro, I got a Calvin Klein shirt. Really? At at the thrift shop for three dollars. Jesus. Exactly. And it is like a it's like a bottom like button up like beach type of shirt like the type of shit you'd see like Bruno Mars wearing. Oh, kind of looking fresh. You know that yeah. shirt looks fresh. I'll have to cut it up a little bit because it was an XL. And I don't fit XL. I'm True. like a medium. But uh, yeah. You're medium? I'm a medium. Okay. Yeah, it's a medium fit. Um, I remember when I tried using an oversized fit. Uh-huh. Bro. I know some people can make it work. Yeah. Honestly, for me, like, I tried to and it wasn't looking good. Bro, I love oversized t-shirts, especially. Yeah? Yeah. If it works for you, you know. The thing is, like, I saw too many K-dramas. Um, and in K-dramas, they have this thing about oversized clothing. Like a Korean trend? In the, a Korean trend. And in one of the shows that I was watching, uh, this guy wore an oversized suit. <laughs> so his f- shoulders are hanging. He looks, I mean, in, in my standard, he looks boxy and weird. But that guy was like the confident guy and pulling it off on Wait, screen. Wait, but w- w- was that like IRL or was it like on the show? On the show, on the show. Ah, on the show. Know, it's like those Netflix shows where like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's all story, but if it were in real life, bro. Bro, but that guy's handsome. I think he'll pull it off because he was looking okay on yeah. the show. And if he's going out, he may have makeup and stuff because he's a movie star. Yeah. So I think he'll pull it off. They normally do. Yeah. Are you a fan? What kind of suits do you like? Are you, f- what kind of, are you a fan of, you know, double breasted suits or? You know, single-breasted suits. Single. I do single-breasted. Um, and throughout the years, I've tried, like, for weddings, of course. Sure. My sister's weddings. Hey. Um, wear a vest. So really? That was pretty good. Oh, like a three-piece? You, you, you pull? A three-piece. Okay. Yeah, I pull a three-piece suit. Um, that's what I do for the, the more formal ones. For both of the weddings, I oh. wore a three-piece suit. Um, for, like, what we had, we had back home, quinceañera parties. Okay. Bro, it was lit. Tell me about it. That was, it's fun because, well, you're 15 years old at the time, 15, 16. Um, and the guys don't normally do it back home. The girls do. Okay. So it's like a girl's party when she turns 15. Um, and oh. it's just a rave. It's just fun. And everyone dresses up super fancy to go there. Yeah. Um, and for that, I would wear like, I wear like 
What, what's the name for those? Names? Bro, I, I see what you, I, I understand what you're saying. Suspenders. Uh, okay. I wore suspenders. Yeah. And it was a vibe, honestly. Like, I was the only guy wearing suspenders and they were like, yo, looking <laughs> fresh. And they would just pull the suspender and oh, like, just piss me off so much. Bro, have you done the, the wet handkerchief thing? Yes, yes, but that's back to my trolling days, honestly. No. Bro, you, sh you should be a troller till you die. <laughs> no, not with that, bro. No, bro, like, you should. But, but that was with the suspenders. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my common sense for it. I, I haven't bought suits in a while, because just in college, you don't really, you're not really required to bro, wear I, suits. I know, well. like, I went to this person... And they're fantastic. Um, I'll, I'll give them promotions if they give me sponsorship one day, <laughs> you know. Um, and they're also like a young brand, a baby brand. Um, and, and I got them. I, I went there for a custom-made suit fitting. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a three-piece. Um, so, bro, they, spent, they really spent time with me. They spent two, three hours with me uh, getting to know my taste, myself. Um, yeah. what kind of suits are like? How much was it? Three piece, a thousand dollars. And if you want to get more fancy, with the there's a word for the inside lining, uh, you know, like in the jacket. Um, oh, like the, the print inside. Yeah, the print inside. There's there's a word for it. I'm forgetting it. Yeah. Um, something I'm forgetting for it. So. They they were like even asking me whether I want something custom for that. Bro, that's cool. They they, they would charge me like maybe two hundred or hundred dollars more. That's not cool. But <laughs> but bro, who those who can afford it? Yeah. Imagine like and I, I was and they were like showing me designs from Africa, um, and Irish designs that people yeah. have for for their like inside linings, and it was fucking weird, bro. And that day. I decided once I'm graduating and I have money, I'm buying two custom-made suits. Oh no, don't be, no, don't spend your money like that, bro. I've, I've told you this before, bro. bro a lot I, of I think a suit, a suit is a good investment, bro. It, it is, yeah. But, but, but you definitely want quantity so you can remix different parts of it. Have you seen those TikToks or those Instagram videos where they say five suits, 75 outfits? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So that's that's what I'm saying, bro. Like, like quantity, I'm, but I wouldn't go for like super expensive branded suits. Maybe custom fit actually sounds good and a couple K, it's fine. I think like in Costa Rica it'd be cheaper. Oh yeah. Right. Just, you just go there and get it, bro. Mm. It's, it's a lot cheaper. A lot of things are cheaper. Like therapy, I do it on Zoom. Okay. It's great. Yeah, okay. it's great. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about uh, uh, those who are listening. We're we're slowly moving into Andre's trauma. And yes. <laughs> no, th therapy, you can do it over Zoom. Um, and back home, and it, it's cheap. Like, how much would you pay for therapy here in the US? Bro, I don't know, because, but I also took therapy. Um, and I, was, I, did the, I did it by this, and I'm promoting them by this organization called Skylight. Yeah. Um, and they have something with IIT. So for IIT students, it's free. Wonder how much it is an hour. Uh, I just wonder. Bro, sometimes it can get like, with, even with insurance, you're paying like 100 bucks an hour. Exactly. Sometimes. You know how much I pay for my therapy? Uh, let me guess, 20. 20. Right? $20 an hour. Mm. How much is that like in, in Costa Rican currency? 10,000 colones. 
Coronas? Colones. Colones. Okay. Like Cristobal. Okay, okay, okay. Like Cristobal Colón. Mm. Like Columbus. Yeah, yeah. The Columbus. Colones. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, now that makes sense. Interesting, bro. Yeah, I'm I'm probably butching up the exchange rate. It's 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 changed. I'm sure. Like yeah. a rough estimate is ten thousand. Yeah. Mm. So it's it's ten ten thousand, twenty thousand. No. I'm not it's not a lot. That's really? The, all I know is it's not a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Isn't like a lot of countries in um, Latin America and in Central America use US dollars? Some of them, like the I, ones that are wiser. They I, I know dollarize. Ecuador does it. Wait, Ecuador? Yeah. I didn't know that. I think so. I could be wrong. And there's some that decide to peg the their currency to the dollar, one to one. Hmm. That's what they call dollarizing, and it's very controversial. Some people don't want it. Mm-hmm. The people that are in the private, like, private business industry, they want it. They need it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be dealing with the local currency with their inflation rates. Yeah, like, the government can make you lose money by just printing whatever they want. And, sure. And like, I understand the Fed has like this whole system, and they they're printing. Like, they're so printing. Like, it's not. It's not good. Trillions. But the U.S. historically has had controlled inflation rates, but. When you look I mean, at after World War II. Yes. When you look at Latin American countries, bro. Inflation rates are crazy. Mm. It's crazy. Because these governments have no regard. They just, just, just print more. You know, Venezuela had like thousands of percent, mm. like the thousand percent inflation in a day. Yeah. Like, it's, it's impossible to just to eat there. People, after, after that happens, people stop trading with the peso, the currency, whatever they have, the name yeah. of the currency. And they trade with goods mm. because the barter system, exactly. something like that. Right? Or they adopt the Bitcoin, and you can look at crypto adoption in Latin America. Venezuela did that, right? Yeah. How's that turning off for them? Well, <laughs> you know, you can adopt more than Bitcoin. You know, there's so much other things you can do. You know, yeah. but crypto adoption in Latin America is so much higher. Like it's crazy. Like I was looking at the actual number of people that. Our crypto users mm-hmm. in America, I think it was like 25 million, and the U.S. had less, like 24. I mean, bro, India has the most crypto users. Imagine that. I believe that. No, Asia has like the most. Yeah. It's Asia. Imagine that, and like, and but that's lo- because of need. You know, the need gets you to mm-hmm. to using these new things. Because if if you're an American, you have this, you have the dollar. The dollar is like a strong currency, and you mm-hmm. can transact through sell through your bank account. Why would you need to switch? Mm. What's what's the pain point? The CIA. <laughs> I mean, tax evasion could be the pain point, but hey, listen, like evading taxes on crypto is a difficult oh, topic. Oh, it's harder. I don't want to. I don't want to be on record about this. <laughs> I don't know about that. I know you gotta pay, bro. You gotta pay your fair share. You know, mm-hmm. let's give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You know. Okay. The yeah. Jesus said that, bro. Give unto Caesar that which is. Caesar's. I mean, bro, yeah, Caesar's, if Caesar comes after you, you're dead. Bro, Jesus was saying, pay your taxes, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus was wise, bro. Or you can find out. <laughs> you can find out, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's also something that has um, slowed down my adoption of crypto. Mm-hmm. Because you, you deal with US dollar. I don't want to get in trouble for taxes stuff mm. that hasn't oh. been figured out yet. The regulation is not clear yet on some things. It's a bit blurry. Mm-hmm. And so, if you start earning from a, a DAO, for yeah. example, like is that taxable income? Ooh. In India, they're thinking about it, bro. 
in India, I think. For that? For like taxes on cryptocurrency. Yeah. They're trying to like. I mean, you got to figure out how to do it. Exactly. But the thing with India is the government also for, I don't know, I don't know whether they've changed it or not, but the government also was like, because we don't know how to deal with this right now, we'll ban it. So dumb. that's the move. <laughs> I'm not sure whether they have changed it or not. Yeah. Because in India, people got, I could be wrong. Like people got into crypto, like the layman who weren't like the you know, regular user or, or stuff like that, yeah. or who didn't know much about it because of this thing called Polygon. Yeah, Matic, the Matic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think token. the Polygon and the Matic token are Indian because an Indian company or, or peop, a group of people that's, created that. That's great. Polygon is a great layer too. Yeah, yeah, and Mark Cuban invested in it. That's, mm-hmm. how, that's how like India got to know about it. <laughs> yeah. And everybody said like, I think investing in that. Okay. So I think that's how a lot of, I think millions of people are now there's a lot of people that don't trust the government. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure whether it's it's not that, bro. In India, we have a massive trust in our government. Really? Yeah. In India, I mean, it's it's a different society. It's like, I think I've seen this in just in America, yeah. where people are not trustworthy. I've just been in two countries. What am I even talking about? <laughs> that people are not like trustworthy of the government. But it's in Europe, um, let's say Britain. I mean, the guy just resigned, so maybe not the best example of Britain. <laughs> <laughs> but like in some countries, I, I know India especially likes their government. They see that because many people see the government as their father or their grandfather. Yeah. You know? It's so like they're a cultural like, thing. Yeah, so. whatever they do, it's for the best kind of thing. But there should be... Patriotism. Uh, there you go. I think it's nationalism more than patriotism, bro. Interesting. Because patriotism is being critical of your government or everything or critical of even your own country so that it can move to the right path but nationalism is just a blind follow mm-hmm. you know and everything that you're doing is is great and yeah and your country is the best in the world you know yeah so i think there's a fine distinction that's interesting i think there's a fine and i'm reading about it these days too so i'm trying to like get better at this I don't know. We'll see. Well, you're getting better. Sure. Well, sure, I'm, getting I'm better. Trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll try. Well, yeah, I'll no, try. I, I'll tell you about how um, I was looking at, for one of my theses, mm-hmm. we were looking at why there were such a large number of people that were unbanked in Latin America. Yeah, you, we were talking about this, I remember. Yeah, 400, out of a population of 400 million people, half, half are unbanked. I have a question. So when we talk about Latin America, do we just, let, because I'm imagining a place, right? A continent. So do I just imagine South America or do I also imagine Central America? You got to imagine Mexico and below. Okay. Yeah. But isn't Mexico North America, bro? No, but Latin America is the ones that speak Latin-based languages. Okay. Fair and enough. so it includes, it includes Brazil. Okay. So you got to go down, like from Mexico all the way down. That's it. That's Latin America. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, it's a massive market, of course. A lot of people unbanked, but why? That's, um, that's a big question. Uh, poor services? That's poor, one. That's poor accessibility? One. That's one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, and Europe. That's one of the reasons that the World, that the World Bank reported on. A uh, report I was looking at from mm-hmm. 2019, I think it was. Expensive? 
expensive to hold an account, mm. high fees. Yeah, not enough money mm. to have a bank account. Sure. Um, you look at poor accessibility, lack of trust in the government and the financial system. Why can I say those were like the top four? Mm. And so. And yeah. you're talking about how crypto can solve this issue and, the, and one of the blockchains that have uh, low transfer fees or, or non-existent transfer fees exactly. can come in to exactly. help the people set up the bank accounts and transact digitally. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thesis right there. Mm. Blockchain can help alleviate that. Yeah. If done right. If done, that's a big if. If done right, because we don't want to be that optimistic. The yeah. best outcome is not the most out, uh, likely outcome. Right? Yeah. Best outcome is the least likely outcome. Yeah, I would say that. Right? Because yeah. there's so many room for fuck-ups. I would say that, yeah. But if you're, if you're careful about what can go wrong and you actually outline it, yeah. and you actually think about it a lot, then your optimism becomes more grounded. And because you can avoid the... Uh, the pitfalls, the mistakes. Yeah, you can you can restructure your prediction around that. Mm-hmm. Be like, okay, so now that I know this, now we can adjust. Mm. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Is there any company or any sort of fund that is looking into the banking system via cryptocurrency or blockchain in Latin America right now? Oh yeah, there's so many. Okay. Yeah, there's. I'll give you the example. You have Lightspeed, Lightspeed VC. I was talking to someone from there. Um, a couple days ago, and they were talking exactly about this thing. Like this person built the thesis for investing in Latin America, mm-hmm. like uh, consumer software and crypto. And this person was telling me, and I was asking her as well, like, "Hey, listen, like, where, where can blockchain come in?" And she's like, "Oh, it's coming in. <laughs> it's <laughs> happening." <laughs> uh, so, see, Lightspeed Venture Partners, great firm. Um, then you have Sequoia. Yeah, Sequoia. Sequoia, like legendary early investors in Facebook. Mm. And they have, have a lot of investments in Tiger India. Tiger Global. Yeah, India. <laughs> Tiger Global is massive too. Yeah. And then you have A16C with okay. their Latin America fund. Okay. Two. They have two funds now. I'm telling you, it's movements happening. They poured in $2.1 billion into Web3 and, well, sorry, into DeFi and crypto. Into what? DeFi and? Decentralized finance and crypto startups in Latin America. 2.1 billion. That's the figure uh-huh. um, in 2021. And Alessandra. Yes. And it went from zero in 2020. Zero. It, it was near zero. It was like, like I have a plot. I, I can send you my thesis, but it's like, it goes from zero to two, two billion. In like four years? In a year. In a year. What the fuck? Jesus. <laughs> Like th- this is the reason why, I'm, like, if I want to be an investor, I'll be in in a space where software is scalable, yeah. where change is happening really fast, and it's like putting your mouth in a fire hose, exactly mm. like that. Change is happening fast. Software is super scalable, and there's a lot of opportunity to create value. Mm. That's it's the com- the combo. And uh, I looked at a lot of sectors to become an investor in. Like, a, I I looked at a bunch of different ones, and I had to decide the one that I felt more comfortable like trying to enter in. Like I'm not an investor yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an you're analyst. a budding, you're a budding investor. A budding, I'm an analyst. Like I'll be an investor if I actually write a check. Yeah. But that's the that's the distinction. Bro, you you'll be there. So I know you. one of these days, no, but I'm I'm an analyst now, but you still gotta choose like your focus, mm-hmm, right? So mm-hmm. I looked at those things and I'm like, okay, which one has the most potential? Yeah. Right. right? Like do I want to work in robotics, for example? 
potential there. It's physical technology. It doesn't scale like it software scales, does. It scales, bro. I think it scales. But not the same as software. Because it scales. But the underlying thing same. is the software, bro. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, the robot. Yeah. Robot. Yeah. You can manufacture tons. And you could also apply the softwares for other things with the some fine tweaks. The manufacturer is what I'm talking about. Okay. That's fine. It doesn't scale the same. The software, well, of course, it will. The AI part of it will. Yeah. But for AI, it is, I also looked at it and I realized <laughs> that there's a lot of application for enterprise, enterprise business. So you have your AI model yeah. and you're serving other companies that are serving their users. Yeah. And yeah, and, and the problem with it is the data. Data is a commodity for them. Mm -hmm. like you gotta, where do you find data? And so if, if blockchain gets mass adoption, then, well, the data is free now. There you go. Mm -hmm. Anyone can scrape this data and build AI. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that future. Mm -hmm. you know? But nowadays, like, big tech companies, they have the data. Yeah. And yeah. they build the models. They have the best models because of that. And that's why they're dominating. The, they're killing it in the mm -hmm. AI space. And can you compete with IBM? For their AI offering. Fuck IBM, Google, bro. Google and IBM. <laughs> Even I, I don't think IBM has as, well, as much data. They got them. Well, Google has a lot more, of yeah. course. But IBM is also like an interesting player. And the market for AI as a service to other companies, mm. that's, they're, they're killing it there. The company, bro, that I work at or interning at right now, they are trying to do that. They're trying to yeah. make their product an AI product that they can then use internally as well as to their clients mm -hmm. so I, I, I definitely and they see charge it like a subscription maybe like they'll I think they will charge it hourly oh. like how much hours you need the software for I think that will give them more revenue I could be wrong though it's interesting yeah but it's a service model mm-hmm mm -hmm. interesting for that you gotta have the data mm -hmm. you gotta get the data from I had this question that I wanted to um, ask you, bro. What's what's your relationship with money? How do you see money? And if if I go more specific, do you see money as a zero sum game or a positive sum game? Absolutely positive sum. Okay. I would never say like if if I would have said zero sum, it's like I'm a trader. Like I'm <laughs> I'm a trader. I'm trying to extract value from arbitrage right now. Yeah. And we talk a lot about that. Yeah. At the Kasonic. Yeah. Um, the zero-sum mentality versus the positive mm -hmm. sum. And I think I'm a positive-sum mentality. I think that if you create value, then everyone wins. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it, it's not like you win and the other people can't win. Like, that's my relationship with money. If you can create value, everyone wins. I also think that money is just a tool. You don't get too hung up about it. But it's a tool. It, it's a tool for what, according to you? It's a tool to achieve your purpose, your goal. What's your goal? Mm. If your goal is to go get ice cream, <laughs> let's go and get money, right? The money is the vehicle you're using for, well, the train is probably the vehicle you're using there. <laughs> and then the money is the tool you use to get the ice cream, right? If you're trying to, but if you're trying to like have a meaningful relationship with someone, then money doesn't seem a lot like a tool there. <laughs> it's not that useful there, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I absolutely see money as a, as a tool. Like, you just, you just need to have enough of it so that you can get to the next level. Mm. Th that's how I see it. Well, there's people that are like, oh, I want to be a millionaire so bad. Like that one Bruno Mars song. I want to be, yeah. <laughs> be a billionaire so fucking bad. But 
you got to think about the next step. They got to keep it like, I understand being ambitious. And yeah. I had it when I was a kid. I was so ambitious. And I realized that ambition is nothing without knowledge. Yeah. That's another one for the books. I read that one somewhere else. Virtuous man. Forgot about you, bro. You got you to think about that. But you can be as ambitious as you want. As you want. Yeah. But if you don't know shit, then you, know, you don't know. You, it's all talk. Mm-hmm. It's cheap talk, even. Mm. <laughs> like, yo, I, all the kids saying, I want to change the world. It's hard, but achievable. why don't you change yourself first? Change yourself, you know. That, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I wanted to change the world when I was a kid, but now I realized, like, why? Why the fuck do I want to do that? Like, that's that's something that ends up happening if if you do the right things, if you act like if you're a good person and if you act the right way and if you try to do impact work, it happens, but. It shouldn't be your end goal. Your end goal should be to be happy. Like shit, what happened to happiness, you know? I don't know, bro. I all this ambition. I don't know if that's a good purpose, happiness. Why not? Because happiness is so momentary. Is it though? Yeah. What, well, what if you could achieve Let's say permanent happiness? Th but that means enlightenment, bro. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. That should be your and goal. I'm talking about more permanent. I'm not sure. I haven't read enough on it, bro. So I'm not even sure, like, if Buddha was uh, happy. Mm. You know? An interesting question. Because the the essence of Buddhism is that life is a suffering, and you should you you should enjoy the suffering. You know? Okay, I could get behind that. You know? So, I might. Uh, it's not not my mo though. I'm I'm a stoic. But uh, you're a stoic, bro. So stoics stole all the stuff from Buddha. <laughs> exactly. So th there's some overlap. That's what I'm saying, bro. Stoics. I'm, I'm kidding, bro. I'm not sure. <laughs> don't don't come after me, all the Western people. Uh, this is an Eastern guy talking. <laughs> bro, on that note, um, I'd have to end this. It was fantastic talking to you. It was good being here, bro. I'll call you again, bro, if I don't find anybody else. Can do it again, of course. <laughs> um, so, ladies and gentlemen. This was Andre. Especially the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the ladies. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you guys later. Bye.